Christmas 1955 found the Youngstrand clan living at 4614 West 7th Street in Duluth, Minnesota. There were five of us, Mom, Dad, Kurt, Mark Brent, and me, Freddie. And oh yes, we also had a golden cocker spaniel named Flipper. We named him Flipper because when he ran, his ears would flip and flop. This Christmas, as every year before, we all packed into Dad's 51 Chevrolet with lots of presents, food, and three wild kids and drove to Grandma's house in Cloquet. Grandma lived in the country on Airport Road next to the forestry station. We would arrive mid-afternoon. The sky was already turning dark. Light snow was falling, and we could see Grandma's Christmas tree lights in the parlor. The wind was blowing through the tall white pines and made kind of a whistling sound. The snow was deep, and the late afternoon was quite cold. When our Uncle Hartvik, Aunt Loretta, and cousins Jim, Susan, and Keith arrived, Betty Jean had not been born yet, we all got ready for the traditional ride in Grandpa's sleigh, led by the big black workhorse Queenie. Hartvik had put some hot stones on the floor of the sleigh to keep our feet warm, and we all snuggled in a heavy reddish-brown horse blanket to keep us warm. As Queenie pulled us through the deep snow drifts, the lantern of the sleigh cast a dim yellow glow on the snow, and the bells on Queenie's harness would ring. It reminded me of jingle bells. After we had all had our turns for a ride around the woods and pasture, we returned to the house and stumbled and fumbled to get out of our buckle boots, woolen snow pants, scarfs, hats, and mittens. There were little balls of snow clinging to our woolen clothes, and big puddles of melting snow was on the entry floor. As we entered the house, we were met with the pleasant smells of the Christmas feast, cinnamon, apples, cardamom, Swedish meatballs, rutabagas, and, of course, the pungent odor of lutefisk. After an hour or two of anxious waiting, Grandma, Mom, and Loretta told us to take our seats at the table near the large picture window facing out toward the white pine trees and groups of bird feeders hanging from the pines and birch trees. After all were in our proper places, with name tags to tell us our proper seating, it was time for our Christmas prayer. This year it was Hartvik's turn for the prayer, as Grandpa had passed away a few years ago. I was amazed that Hart could pray for nearly twenty minutes without as much as an um or an Allah. It was mesmerizing, the tone of his voice and his cadence. Our Christmas feast lasted for a couple of hours at the table. There was lots of laughter and enthusiasm, ringing of glassware, tinkling of silverware, and passing the trivets around the table for seconds and thirds of heaping plates of meatballs, potatoes, dressing, rutabagas, and, of course, lutefisk. Before the presents could be opened, it was imperative that the table was cleared Dishes washed and dried and put away in Grandma's birch cabinets that Grandpa had made. The wood kitchen stove was still blazing hot, and the stovepipe was bright red from the heat of the wood. The ice block in the refrigerator was melting and pouring over the pan on the floor. 
Mark Brent, who had earned the nickname of Little Imp, was poking his fingers in the Christmas presents, tangling the tinsel on the trees, and playing with the kittens. And then, when the kitchen was cleared and sparkling, it was time to begin the next part of our Christmas celebration. But just as we were about to gather around the Christmas tree, the telephone on the wall rang. Grandma's ring. Three rings. The phone was an oak box with a mouthpiece mounted on the front and an earpiece on the side, which Grandma picked up and answered. After her conversation, the much-awaited-for present opening was about to begin. But first, there was the reading of the scripture, the Christmas story. We all sat still except for Imp, who was still playing with the kittens and a big ball of tinsel. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all of the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria, and all went to be taxed, every one into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was, that while they were there, the days were accomplished, that they should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for him in the inn. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, good will toward men. And it came to pass, as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem, and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. And they came with haste, and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. After the reading of the Holy Christmas story, presents were opened in seemingly no time at all. Mark Brent got the most presents, of course. Shortly after the presents were opened, Mom would sit at the old black upright piano and play one Christmas carol after another. We all sang with great gusto, and our voices must have carried out to the white pines and mingled with the low whistling of the trees. Now it was time to go home to yet another Christmas celebration on 7th Street. However, during the evening at some time, my little brother, Mark Brent, locked the keys to our Chevrolet in the car. With a gee-winnickers, Dad broke the wing window to unlock the car, and soon we were off to Duluth. Tired, anxious, and just a little wild, 
we finally approached Thompson Hill and could see the lights of Duluth before us. Entering the house, the tree lights were turned on, a fire was started in the fireplace, and we eyed the many presents under the tree. Imp began to poke his fingers in the packages again. Flipper was sleeping by the fire, and while we waited for Mom and Dad, we three boys were watching Scrooge on the black-and-white television. Finally, with all the presents opened, paper and ribbons scattered all over the floor, we were in awe of our new skis, electric train, erector sets, transistor radio kits, chemistry sets, games, books, Lincoln Logs, and more presents than we could ever count. And then Mark and I turned to Dad and asked, Is that all? Shortly, we were back in school, and Christmas had passed all too fast. I was suddenly aware of the fact that the weeks of anticipation went by and was gone. Later that winter, there was a tremendous blizzard. Kurt and I were staying at Grandma's and were playing in the huge snowdrifts. One of those drifts was blown right up to the roof of Grandma's house. We could see the door to the attic, and Kurt, Keith, and I climbed up and opened the door and went in to see what treasures we could find. I was most interested in a lock of beautiful auburn hair marked Betty, 1949. That was the year that my aunt, Mom's sister, was killed in a terrible automobile accident. Also, I found a journal of Grandpa's. I slid down the drift and went into the horse stable and began to read his entries dating way back to 1918 and continued to 1924. With great surprise, I learned that Grandpa and Grandma, as well as Mom, lived in Corona del Mar, California, in 1918. Grandpa had purchased a large tract of land on the beach and intended to develop it for housing. However, Mom and Grandma hated living in California, so Grandpa sold the land and moved back to Cloquet. As an aside, our Grandpa on Dad's side was also a developer and at one time owned all of Spirit Mountain during the same time that Grandpa Hans was in California. Grandpa Axel lost his land during the stock market crash of 1929. But here's the most interesting entry in Grandpa's journal. I'll read it as it was printed. I had no idea that Grandpa Hans had such poetic inclinations. It was the night before Christmas with things all a bustle. As Mama got set for the Christmas Eve tussle, aunts and uncles and cousins would soon be arriving with stomachs all ready for Christmas Eve dining. Well, I sat alone with feeling of dread as visions of Lutefisk danced in my head. The thought of the smell made my eyeballs start burning. The thought of the taste set my stomach to churning. For I'm one of those who good seeds rebuff, a Scandahoovian boy who can't stand the stuff. Each year, however, I played at the game to spare Mama and Papa the undying shame. I must bear up bravely. I can't take the risk of relatives knowing I hate Lutefisk. I know they would spurn me, my presence withhold. 
if the unthinkable, unspeakable truth they were told. And then out in the yard I heard such a clatter. I yumped up to see what was the matter, and there in the snow, all in a yumble, three of my uncles had taken a tumble. My aunts, as usual, gave them what for, and soon they were up and through the door. Then with talk and more cheer, an hour was passed as Mama finished the Christmas repast. From out in the kitchen an odor came stealing that fairly set my senses to reeling. The smell of lutefisk creeped down the hall and wilted a plant in a pot on the wall. The others reacted as though they were smitten while the aroma laid low my small helpless kitten. Uncles Oscar and Lars said, Oh, that smells yummy! And Kermit's eyes glittered while he patted his tummy. The scent skipped off the ceiling and bounced off the door, and the bird in the cuckoo clock fell on the floor. Mama announced dinner by ringing a bell, and they pushed to the table with a yump and a yell. I lifted my eyes to heaven and sighed, and a rose on the wallpaper withered and died. With wooden legs I found my chair and sat in silence with unseeing stare. Most of the food was already in place. There remained only to fill the lutefisk space. And then Mama came proudly with a bowl on a trivet while you would have thought the crown jewels were in it. She placed it carefully down and took her seat. And Papa said grace before we could eat. It seemed to me, with my whirling head, the shortest prayer he ever had said. And then Mama lifted the cover on the steaming dish, and I was face to face with the quivering fish. Me first, I heard Uncle Kermit call, while I watched the paint peel off the wall. The plates were passed for Papa to fill, I waited in agony between fever and chill. He would dip in the spoon and hold it up high as it oozed on the plate, so I thought I would die. And then came my plate, and to my feverish brain there seemed enough loot of fish to derail a train. It looked like a mountain of congealing glue, oddly transparent yet discolored the hue. With butter and creme sauce I tried to conceal it. I salted and peppered, but the smell still revealed it. I drummed up my courage. I tried to be bold. Mama reminds me, eat before it gets cold. I decided to face it. Oofta, I sighed. Oofta, indeed, my stomach replied. And then I summoned that resolve for which every breed is known. My hand took the fork as with the mind of its own, and with reckless abandon that lutefisk I ate, and within twenty seconds I'd cleaned my plate. Uncle Kermit flashed me an ear-to-ear -ear grin as butter and creme sauce dripped from his chin. And then, to my great shock, he whispered in my ear, I'm sure glad this is over for another year. 
It was then I learned a great and wonderful truth that Swedes and Norwegians from old men to youth must each pay their dues to have that great joy of being known as a good Scandinavian boy. And so to you all as you face the great feast, happy Christmas to you and to you all the best. Lutefisk Lament was written and recorded by Boone and Erickson on WCCO Radio.